Welcome back to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery, the show where we talk about those historical figures you've probably heard about but probably don't know too much about. I'm your host, Connor Bolanos, and today we're going to be talking about George Castrioti, or more commonly known as Skanderbeg, one of the most prominent Albanian generals and resistors to the Ottoman Empire in Eastern Europe during the 15th century. Now, before we get into the details about the generalship of Skanderberg and his mi various military triumphs over the Ottoman forces. As always, it's important to start off with his origins. Much like Hanyadi from last episode, not too much is exactly known about the origins of Skanderberg. Uh, one of Skander Skanderberg's most prominent biographers, a man by the name of Fasheri, has interpreted through various sources that he found at the time that he was most likely born in the small village of Sine, one of the two villages owned by his grandfather. Now, much like was the issue with Hanyadi, people also don't exactly know his date of birth. However, Fasciari puts the date of birth, and it is agreed upon by most historians, to be around the year 1405, despite the earlier disagreements, and this confusion is mainly due to the lack of birth documents from him and his siblings. Now, after during his early childhood, Skanderberg ended up in the services of as a hostage in the court of the Ottoman Emperor. Now this was a custom practice at the time for many rulers who were defeated in battle and as such this is where Skanderberg along with some of his older siblings ended up. While some historians argue that he arrived at an earlier time in the court, most modern historians conclude that Skanderberg was sent as a hostage around 1415 and then once again in 1423. And it was during this time that Skanderbeg remained as Murad II's court as a page for about three years or so. And during this time, he would receive his military training at Enderun, one of the most prominent military schools within the Ottoman Empire. After his graduation from Enderun, the Sultan granted Skanderbeg control of a tim one Timar, at this which is a land grant in the Ottoman Empire, near the territories controlled by Skanderbeg's father. His father, however, was concerned by this because during his time at court, Skanderbeg converted to Islam while his father remained Christian, and as a result, he was concerned that Murad II would order Skanderbeg to occupy the territory of his father and conquer it for the, formally for the Ottoman Empire. And as a result, his father John would reach out to the Venetians for aid, but John would be defeated in 1430 by the Ottoman governor of Skopje, resulting in his territory possessions being significantly reduced. Later during that same year, Skanderbeg continued fighting for Murad II in his expeditions, although he was... Although Skanderbeg was summoned home by his relatives in Albania, when George Arianiti and Andrew Thopia, along with several other chiefs from the regions between Vlor and Shkoder, organized a rebellion against the Ottoman Empire, which ended up lasting from 1432 to 36, he ended up doing nothing, remaining loyal to the Sultan and continuing to fight against the enemies of the Ottoman Empire. And in the years 1437 and 1438, he briefly became the governor of the Kruje Subasilik before being replaced on the in November of 1438. Until May of 1438, Skanderbeg controlled a relatively large Timur composing of nine villages which previously belonged to his father. So his father's worst fears did eventually come to light despite his defeat. During, for, during the years 1438 to around 1443, uh, Skanderbeg is thought to have been fighting alongside the Ottomans in the European campaigns, mostly against the Christian forces being led at the time by John Hunyadi. And in 1440, Skanderberg was actually appointed the Sanja Bey of Dibra. And during his time as the Sanja Bey of Dibra, he ended up forming numerous close relationships with the population of his father, the former populace of his, in his father's lands, and also maintained close relations with other Albanian noble families, which would come to be important once he would rise in rebellion against the Ottomans. 
Skanderbeg, however, would not remain forever loyal to Murad II, as Murad probably thought. In early November of 1443, Skanderberg deserted the forces of the Sultan Murad II during the Battle of Nice while fighting against the Crusaders of John Hanyadi. Skanderberg ended up quitting the field along with 300 other Albanians serving in the Ottoman army at the time. He immediately led, led his men to Kruhe, where he arrived on the 28th of November and using a forged letter from the Sultan Murad to the governor, he became lord of the city on that very day. And in order to reinforce his intentions of gaining control of the former domains of Zeta, a province in the Ottoman Empire at the time, Skanderbeg proclaimed himself the heir of the Balsik family. After capturing some less important surrounding castles in the region, he raised, according to his main biographer, Fascieri, a red standard with a black double-headed eagle on Kruhe. Today, Albania uses a similar flag to this as a national symbol. Skanderberg, during this time, also abandoned Islam, reverting to Christianity, and ordered many others who had embraced Islam or were Muslim colonists to either convert to Christianity or face death. In Albania, a rebellion against the Ottomans had already been smoldering for years before Skanderbeg deserted the Ottoman army. As I mentioned earlier in 1443, George Arianiti had revolted against the Ottomans in the region of central Albania, and under Venetian patronage in the 2nd of March 1444, Skanderbeg summoned Albanian noblemen in the Venetian-controlled town of Lise and established a military alliance known in historiography today as the League of Lese. Among those who would join this alliance were several notable, powerful Albanian families, such as those of the Arianitis, the Duca Gaginis, uh, and the Murzaka, just to name a few. Skanderberg, during this time, after consolidating political support, ended up organizing a mobile defense army that forced the Ottomans to disperse their troops across the entirety of Albania, leaving them vulnerable to hit-and-run tactics of the Albanians, which Skanderberg would master and be well known for. And in doing this, Skanderbeg fought a guerrilla war against the opposing armies and was aided by the mountainous terrain of Albania, which the Ottomans were not very well familiar with and not very good with navigating. During the first eight to ten years of this early part of the rebellion, Skanderbeg commanded an army of generally 10,000 to 15,000 soldiers, but only had absolute control over the men from his own dominions and had to convince most of the, the other princes, as I mentioned earlier, to follow his policies and tactics. His first victory would come in the summer of 1444, and where the United Albanian Armies under Skanderbeg faced the Ottomans who were under the direct command of Ottoman General Ali Pasha, who had an army of 25,000 men. Skanderbeg at the time had under his command 7,000 infantry, 8,000 and 8,000 cavalry. However, 3,000 of these cavalry were hidden behind enemy lines in a nearby signal, and once upon giving a signal, they surrounded and encircled the Ottoman forces. About 8,000 Ottoman troops were killed and 2,000 captured, and this first victory echoed across Europe because it was one of the few times in, in history that an Ottoman army was defeated in a pitched battle on European soil. On the 10th of October, 1445, he would obtain another victory as an Ottoman force of nine to 15,000 men under Firuz Pasha was sent to prevent Skanderbeg from moving into the Macedonian region. Firuz had heard that the Albanian army had was disbanded for the time being, so he ended up planning to move quickly around the Black Drin Valley and through Prizren. However, the Ottomans were lured into the Makra Valley, where Skanderberg, with a force of 3,500, attacked and defeated the Ottomans. Firuz was killed along with 1,500 of his men, and Skanderberg would then proceed to defeat the Ottomans two more times in the following year, once when the Ottoman forces from Ordred suffered severe losses, and once again in the Battle of Otanet on the 27th of September, 1446. For all of you just joining in, welcome back to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery, where today we're talking about one of the most prominent Albanian generals of the 15th century, Skanderbeg. Now, get after his initial dealings with the Ottoman Empire, 
he obtained some amount of peace from them. However, the Ottomans were not the only enemies that he would come to face. The Venetians would be his other primary opponent. Although supportive at the beginning of the Albanian insurrection, the Republic of Venice was considered, considered his forces to be a buffer between Venice, who owned part of Albania at the time, and the Ottoman Empire. Let's say where the uh, league that I mentioned earlier was established was part of Venetian territory, and the assembly met with the approval of Venice. The later... The latter affirmation of Skanderberg and his rise as a strong force on their border, however, was seen as a menace to the interests of the Republic, leading to the worsening of relations and a dispute over the fortress of Dagnum, which triggered the Albanian-Venetian War of 1447-1448. to The Venetians sought by almost every means to overthrow Skanderberg or bring about his death, even offering a life pension of 100 golden ducats annually for the person who would kill him. During the conflict, the Venice also invited the Ottomans to attack Skanderberg simultaneously from the east, facing the Albanians with a two-front conflict. And Murad at the time would take up the Venetians on this offer. On the 14th of May, 1448, an Ottoman army led by Sultan Murad himself and his son Mehmed laid siege to the castle of Zvetigrad. The Albanian garrison in the castle resisted the frontal assaults of the Ottoman army while Skanderbeg harassed the besieging forces with the remaining Albanian army under his personal command. And on the 23rd of July, 1448, Skanderbeg won a battle near Shkoder against the Venetian army led by Andrea Venier. Following these initial battles, Skanderbeg besieged the towns of Dorazo and Lezi, which were under the Venetian rule. And in August of 1448, Skanderbeg once again defeated Mustafa Pasha in Deber at the Battle of Oranik. Must- Mustafa Pasha lost over 3,000 men and was captured during the battle, along with 12 high-ranking Ottoman officers. Skanderbeg learned from these officers that it was one of the Venetians who pushed the Ottomans to originally invade Albania. This, too, Skanderbeg was an unknown fact at the time, and he thought it was simply the Ottomans capitalizing on another war. The Venetians, upon hearing of this defeat, immediately sought to establish a peace with Skanderbeg, and Mustafa Pasha was also ransomed for 25,000 ducats to the Ottoman Empire. On the 23rd of July, 1448, Skanderbeg would cross the Drin River with 10,000 men, meeting a Venetian force of 15,000 under the command of Daniel Lorici, the governor of Scutari. The Albanians managed to inflict 2,500 casualties on the Venetian force and also capturing 1,000, while Skanderbeg's army only suffered 400 casualties. Following this defeat, the Venetians would follow up on their original wants and sign a peace treaty on the 4th of October, 1448. This treaty envisioned that Venice would keep Dagnum in its envisions, but would be would have to cede to Skanderbeg the territory of Buzigajaparapi at the at the mouth of the River Drin, and also that Skanderbeg would enjoy the privilege of buying tax-free 200 horseloads of salt annually from Dorazo. In addition, Venice would have to pay Skanderbeg 1,400 ducats. One of the reasons that Skanderbeg actually agreed to this peace, which he didn't want originally, was the advance of John Hunyadi's army in Kosovo and his invitation for Skanderbeg to join the expedition against the Sultan. As we mentioned in our last episode, John Hunyadi was actually seeking Skanderbeg's help and sought to meet up with him to defeat Mehmed II. However, the Albanian army under Skanderbeg did not participate in the battle that would eventually defeat John Hunyadi, as it was believed he was delayed by Durad Brankovic. And after the battle that ended up breaking the Ottoman Empire, it was found that Skanderbeg was only 20 miles away. So it's quite possible that if Skanderbeg wasn't delayed, that outcome of the battle which we talked about in the last episode may have turned out much different. After his victory over the Venetian and Ottoman forces in the Albanian-Venetian War, Skanderbeg sought out closer connections with some enemies of Venice at the time, most prominently King Alfonso V of Aragon and Naples. Following Skanderbeg's request, King Alfonso helped him during the war, 
and the two parties would sign the Treaty of Gaeta on the 26th of March, 1451, according to which Skanderbeg was formally a vassal of the Kingdom of Naples in exchange for military aid. It's important to note at this time that Skanderbeg was never necessarily the Lord of Albania, except in name and as the head of the Alliance of Albanian Nobles. So whether or not Skanderbeg was in every right to do this, since Albania wasn't exactly under his control, is disputed, but he was, in a sense, the de facto ruler of Albania during his time that during the time that he was alive. So while Skander, during in this treaty, while Skanderbeg recognized Alfonso's sovereignty over his lands in exchange for help against the Ottomans, he ended up maintaining de facto control over Albania itself. King Alfonso pledged to respect the old privileges of Kruje and the Albanian territories and to pay Skanderbeg an annual 1,500 ducats, while Skanderberg himself pledged to make his fealty to King Alfonso only after the expulsion of the Ottomans from his lands, a condition which unfortunately would never be reached in Skanderbeg's lifetime. In 1451, Mehmed was focused on defeating the Karamids and Mentees in the east, giving a bit of breathing room for Skanderbeg to strengthen his control and reinforce his forces in Albania. During, the brief, during this brief period of rest, Skanderbeg took up the rebuilding of Kruje and erected a new fortress in Modrica, where the Ottoman forces in previous years had managed to slip through unhindered. The fortress was constructed in the heat of summer within a few months where very few Ottoman posts were present. This came as a huge blow to Ottoman efforts in the future whose Albanian operations would be inhibited by this new fortress. In 1452, the newly acceded to the throne Ottoman Sultan Mehmed II ordered his first campaign against Skanderbeg. An expedition was sent under the dual command of Tahib Pasha, the main commander, and Hazma Pasha, his subordinate, with an army of about 25,000 men split evenly between the two. To meet this force, Skanderbeg gathered a force of 14,000 men and marched against the Ottoman army. And on the 21st of July of that year, Skanderbeg assaulted Hazma's forces. The fierce attack made short work of the Ottoman force, resulting in their eventual rout. The same day, Skanderbeg attacked Tahip's army and defeated them. And with Tahip killed... The Ottomans were thus left without the only commander on the field as they fled. Skanderbeg's victory over a ruler even more powerful than Murad came as a great surprise to the Albanians and a huge morale booster in future battles and conflicts. On the 22nd of April of 1453, Mehmed would send yet another expedition to Albania under Ibrahim Pasha, but on the same day that that expedition was launched, Skanderbeg launched a swift cavalry attack which broke the enemy camp, causing disorder and chaos killing in the process Ibrahim, along with 3,000 of his own men. The most important battle during this time period would be the Siege of Barat, though, in 1445, which was the first real test between the armies of the new sultan and Skanderbeg. This battle would, however, end up in an Ottoman victory, and one of Skanderbeg's only few defeats. Skanderbeg besieged the town's castle for months, causing the demoralized Ottoman officer in charge of the castle to promise his surrender. At that point, Skanderbeg relaxed his grip and split his forces in departing the siege, leaving behind one of his generals and half of his cavalry on the banks of the Uslam River in order to finalize to surrender. However, this was a costly error, as the Ottomans saw this movement as an opportunity for attack and sent a large cavalry force to reinforce the garrison of the castle. The Albanian forces, by this supposed surrender, were lulled into a false sense of security, and the Ottomans caught the Albanian cavalry by surprise while they were resting on the banks of the river. And due to this ambush, almost five, almost all of the 5,000 Albanian cavalry laying siege to the castle were killed. This was one of the most major setbacks for Skanderberg at the time, and probably one of, one of his most crippling defeats during his entire rebellion. In the summer of 1457, an Ottoman army numbering around 70,000 men invaded Albania with the hopes of destroying Albanian resistance once and for all. The army was led by Isak Beg and Hazma 
Kastriotti, the commander who supposedly knew all about Albanian tactics and strategy. After having avoided the enemy for months, Skanderberg calmly gave the Ottomans and his European neighbors the impression that he was defeated. However, on the 2nd of September, he attacked the Ottoman forces there in Katmans and defeated them, killing and capturing, killing and capturing between 30,000 and 45,000 men, causing the greatest, greatest victory over the Ottomans for Skanderberg. However, not the greatest in Eastern Europe at the time, whose victory would actually go to Stefan III of Moldova. And for his victory in here, the Pope gave Skanderbeg the title of Athleta Christi, or the Champion of Christ, for his victory in this battle. For all of you just tuning in, welcome to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Where we're, today we're talking about one of the most prominent Albanian generals during the 15th century, Skanderbeg. So as we get into his final years, following a treaty after the recent battle against the Ottoman forces, which... Skanderbeg spent about two years campaigning in Italy. As I mentioned earlier, he was allied with King Alfonso, and upon his death, his son King Ferdinand faced a challenge to the throne of Naples by a French house at the time. So Skanderberg, as per his treaty, went to Italy to aid in securing the throne for King Ferdinand, which he would. And after securing Naples, Skanderbeg would return home after being informed of more Ottoman movements against Albania. During this time, there were three Ottoman armies approaching Albania, but Skanderbeg would come to defeat all three of them, forcing the Sultan Mehmed II to agree to a 10-year armistice, which was signed on April, in April of, in 1463 in Skopje. In, 14, in 1466, however, Sultan Me Mehmed II broke this armistice by leading an army of 30,000 men into Albania personally and laying siege to Kruje for the second time as, as his father had attempted to do 16 years earlier. However, the town was defended by a garrison of 4,000 in 400 men, and after several months of siege, destruction, and killings all over the country, Mehmed II, much like his father, saw that seizing Kruje was an impossibility for him to accomplish by f mere force of arms. Subsequently, he left the siege then to return to Istanbul. However, he left the force of 30,000 men under the command of Balaban Pasha to maintain the siege by building a new castle in central Albania. On the 23rd of April of 1467, after courting aid from both the papacy and the kingdom of Naples, Skanderbeg attacked the Ottoman forces laying siege to Kruje, and the second siege of Kruje was eventually broken, resulting in the death of Balaban Pasha. With the death of Balaban, Ottoman forces were left surrounded. Those inside the encirclement were asked to leave freely to Ottoman territory, offering to surrender all that was within the camp to the Albanians. Skanderbeg was prepared to accept, but many nobles refused and ended up killing those who were encircled. And thus, the Albanians annihilated most of the forces that were encircled by the army before they cut a narrow path through their opponents and fled through Dibra. The destruction of Balaban Pasha's army and the siege of Elbasan, which was done by Skanderberg following this defeat of the Ottomans, forced Mehmed II to march against Skanderberg again in the summer of 1467. And Skanderberg retreated to the mountains while the Ottoman Grand Vizier Mahmud Pasha Anjalovic pursued him, but failed to find him because Skanderberg succeeded in fleeing to the coast. The Ottomans once again failed in another siege of Kruje to take and subjugate the country, but the degree of destruction to the country itself was immense and crippled Albanian crops and the economy. During the Ottoman incursions overall, the Albanians suffered a great number of casualties, especially to the Albanian civilian populace, while the economy of the country was absolutely in tatters. The above problems, the loss of many Albanian noblemen in the conflict, and 
the new alliance with Reke Duca Gini caused Skanderbeg to call together in January 1468 all the remaining Albanian noblemen to a conference in the Venetian stronghold of Lese to discuss a new war strategy and to restructure what remained of the League of Lese. But during this period, Skanderbeg fell ill with malaria and would die on the 17th of January 1468 at the age of 62. After Skanderberg's death, Al the Albanian resistance would really come to a formal end, and following this, Member II would end up subjugating the majority of Albania under his rule, finally crushing the decades of revolt and rebellious provinces that honestly stopped Ottoman expansion in Eastern Europe for about 70 years. Skanderberg's revolts against Albania were probably one of the most crucial factors alongside the efforts of John Hunyadi, Vlad the Impaler of Wallachia, and Stefan III of Moldova. Who, which, whose efforts militarily managed to prevent the Ottomans from expanding into Eastern Europe for about seven decades. And it's hard to say what history would be like today if the Ottomans had been able to defeat these various people in Eastern Europe and managed to expand even earlier into Eastern Europe, especially during a time where many Italian city-states and Central European states of the Holy Roman Empire were wholly unprepared to face the Ottomans. But outside of his military efforts, Skanderbeg was actually very influential in solidifying and creating creating a united Albanian identity, as I mentioned earlier by the fact that his flag that he raised originally over Kruje is still used today as one of the national standards of Albania. So through his military accomplishments and his unification in a sense of Albania, Skanderbeg deserves and has earned his place as one of the most influential generals and in a sense statesmen of the 15th century in Eastern Europe. Join us next week where we're going to finally leave Eastern Europe and move to Western Europe. We're going, where we're going to talk about Charles VII, the victorious, and his efforts against the English in the, in the ending of the Hundred Years' War.